This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how arts, culture, and creativity, especially as applied by young people, can change the world, one community at a time. You're invited each week to learn and laugh while exploring the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. Jeff here, joined by my co-host Ashraf Hasham. Ashraf, how are you, my friend? Hello, Jeff. Good to be here. I'm doing good. I'm on vacation this week. We're in Minneapolis, so I'm shooting live from the field. Um, very nice. Very yeah. nice. I am I am jealous, but not too jealous because I will be going on vacation for some screen-free time Woo. next week in upstate New York, not traveling too, too far, but definitely a change of pace from my little attic office <laughs> here in Maryland. Yes. It is it is great to um, see that you're you're leveraging some some time away, some rest, and and thank you for carving out the time to spend on this podcast with myself and all of our listeners. Of course, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk about um, what what the interview I had this week was with uh, with a number of amazing women of color, or actually a couple of women of color and another amazing white woman <laughs> um, over in uh, all over the place. There was one in Seattle, one in New York, and one in LA. They were brought together by this amazing photo book project called, called Among Peers. Can I tell you more about it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so intrigued. First, this is probably the largest interview that we've had on the podcast. And second, because this is such a fascinating project that really ties together a lot of these themes that we've been seeing about building narratives, about empowering young people, about responding to the pandemic, and also, you know, about shifting our own organizational practices to, like, do really good work with really great people. Absolutely, yes, and and doing it authentically without any sort of um, agenda that 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 benefits one over the other. It really is a mutually beneficial thing, you know. Um, so so this book, this photo book, was created by Minor Matters Books. Um, that's M I N O R Minor, and that's uh, an allusion to uh, Minor White, a photographer. Um, who created Aperture Magazine. And actually, Aperture Magazine is a reason I know Michelle Dunn-Marsh, one of the main interviewees. She's the publisher of Minor Matters Books. And um, as you'll hear in the interview, I used to be an intern at, at Aperture Magazine back in the day. Um, and we met then. And, and um, Michelle, like me, is a brown person in the United States. Um, and I got to see people who looked like me through her in my work at Aperture, which was uh, really special. And um, she, throughout quarantine and otherwise, has been just hustling. Um, in this case, she worked with six youth development organizations all across the country to create an amazing photo book of 110 youth photographers, 14 to 21 years old. And in this conversation, Michelle and I were joined 
by the executive director of NYC Salt named Alicia and the executive director of Las Fotos Project in Los Angeles by um, somebody named Lucia. Um, and it was a fascinating conversation, like you said, that tied together a lot of interesting themes. And of course, one of the favorite things I like to talk about, which is what it's like being a ED <laughs> in a challenging time, um, a leader in an organization that is is going to change uh, whether you whether you like it or not. Um, and and in this case, you know, Lucia was uh, the executive director after the founding director bounced. She started during quarantine. Um, Alicia started the organization in New York and had been leveraging the social capital of um, that she had built um, throughout um, with many, many name drops all between. Um, uh, it was a good time. Well, great. I am super excited to hear this. So without further ado, let's get to the interview and then we'll come back on the flip side for a little chat. Right on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Why Change podcast. I'm so excited to welcome my new guests today, a very special suite, Michelle Dunmarsh, publisher of Minor Matters Books, Alicia Hansen, founder and CEO of NYC Salt, and Lucia Torres, executive director of LA's Las Fotos Project. I'm thrilled to introduce you all to this community. Um, let's just go around the room and tell us about this amazing uh, photo book that brought you all together. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. So Michelle, it's all you. Talk to us. Thanks, Ashraf. So excited to, uh, to have everyone here and be able to take part in this conversation. Um, so yeah, Among Peers, the United States of Young Photographers is a book that's currently in pre-sales through Minor Matters. And it really came out of Lauren Wendell, who's the president of the Lucy Foundation, and I just doing some wellness check-ins during the period of COVID. We were used to seeing each other at a lot of different industry events that, of course, none of them were happening. And when we were speaking by phone, she's based in New York, I'm in Seattle. Uh, we were just trying to come up with some projects that we could maybe develop together long distance that... Um, that felt meaningful during a period of time where a lot was changing. And we were both excited. Um, Alicia, she was familiar with uh, NYC Salt. And I said, well, there happened to be a number of wonderful organizations across the United States. Maybe we can do something that brings them together. And so it really, it really started there. It was just sort of a, a pipe dream in a reality. So that's where it started. And how did it feel for you two on the other, uh, on the receiving end of those um, many emails? Sure, I can, I can go. My name is uh, Lucia Torres, Executive Director at Las Fotos Project. Uh, we're a photography mentoring organization based in Los Angeles, specifically in Boyle Heights. And we work with young women and gender expansive youth uh, to mentor them through photography. And so I had uh, worked with Michelle before through our the Photo Awards, which is um, something that we created uh, because we saw that there was a, a lack of celebration of women photographers and especially in thinking about, you know, how we uplift women in photography and creative women. So we developed the Photo Awards, which is sort of the celebration slash fundraiser for the organization. And Michelle got involved with that. Um, and have been in contact uh, ever since. So, you know, when you reached out to me, Michelle, I was really excited about it. Also because we, there was so much going on for the organization when you reached out. Um, I had just stepped in as executive director after our founder, Eric Ibarra, left after 10 years, you know, his 10 year mark, he, he had the, the torch over. He said, I'm ready to go. 
Um, it was also our 10 year anniversary that we started celebrating. So we were rolling out a series of activations around like celebrating the work that we've done over the past decade. Uh, we ourselves were also planning a book. So everything just kind of came into a place where I was like, you know what? Yes, let's we we want to celebrate these youth voices and let's let's do it. Um, so it was really fun selecting the images that went into the book um, and, you know, hand them over and being able to look uh, through, you know, the series of images that were created in the past year by our students. So uh, on our end, it was just all serendipitous. Everything just really happened at a really great moment for us. What about you, Alicia? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Alicia Hansen. I'm the founder and uh, CEO of NYC Salt. We're, um, we're also a youth-based uh, photography program in New York City um, that I founded over 16 years ago. Um, and um, Lauren Wendell actually, I think, originally reached out <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> the past, like, what, 18, 19 months um, seemed like they happened so quickly, but they also feel like like the last year and a half has just been kind of nuts um, and everything uh, has gone in slow motion. Um, and then definitely coming out of, of the pandemic and thinking about in-person um, programming uh, in like four weeks um, is, is kind of crazy. But it's, it's really great to, um, to be a part of this and to think about, or not think about, but to celebrate our young people. Um, Scott Thode, who is our advanced uh, residency um, teacher for our high school students, did all the selection of, um, of the work that went into the book. And um, I know, uh, actually, it, it kind of, it also, for us, coincided with um, with a book project that we did. We've done two book projects um, throughout COVID to celebrate the, the voices and stories of our young people. Um, and so uh, it just, it kind of just flowed into that. We, I mean, we were already doing a lot of editing and, and sequencing with the kids and um, Scott specifically spent about six months on curation and editing and selection. Um, with his advanced students. And so this was just a, a really easy project to flow right into and we're really honored to be a part of it. Alicia, that really touches also on how small the community of photography is in a, in a wonderful way. Um, Scott and I juried an exhibition in London together 10 years ago, 12 years ago very long time ago. So when I saw his name come up, that was, um, that was just a super exciting moment. And then of course, having worked with Lucia, it was also important for me that we try to make this as easy for you as possible. And that comes out of the experience of also being an executive director and understanding that, you know, people come to you with opportunities and they sound great, but they take time. And you know, to, to try and frame this. And first there was still work on your end. There was a lot of work on your end, but to try and make it easy for you to say yes and to make it uplifting for your organizations because you had so much going on, you know, all of you, Lucy, all the changes you mentioned, but then on top of that COVID, right? Completely changing your programming. So um, I just, again, want to really say thank you. It really was just so incredible to be able to see this collaboration um, from all of these, you know, six different organizations come together. 
This is so exciting. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, Lucia, you mentioned that uh, you would just become this uh, executive director of the organization after the founder had left. Um, you know, speaking about that, I'd love to hear um, from you and Alicia specifically on um, your journeys. And of course, Michelle, you as well. But let's go, um, Lucia, Alicia and Michelle. Just talk about your journeys, maybe even fit in some of the work that y'all are doing today at your amazing yeah, organization. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the question I get a lot about being in my current position is like, oh, what kind of photography do you practice? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm not a photographer. <laughs> so I'm an executive director of this wonderful like photography organization, but I myself am not a photographer. Um, I am a storyteller. I'm a writer. And so that's kind of like my art. And I, when I became introduced to the organization, this focus project, I was working with another youth organization in Boyle Heights. Um, and I went to uh, an exhibition that they had. And I have to say the organization has grown like so, so much in the past, you know, 10 years. And, you know, because of Eric's vision, our, our founder, his vision, just his tenacity to do work, like it just, it it blew up. It's just like, talk about glow up, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> amazing what happened with the organization. So when I saw this exhibition, it was just actually kind of something that was like really makeshift, like, uh, like photography on a fence. I think it was just something I thought that Eric had these uh, images displayed. But what really captured my attention um, was the storytelling that the students were doing through their images and the images that they were capturing. You know, for for the most part, it was portraits of themselves. They, you know, do a lot of self-portraiture, so portraits of themselves. Um, but I think the the thing that also really captured my attention was like the portraits of their families and of their mothers and brothers and sisters and just their community. And uh, the way that they did it with like such tenderness and respect. Um, and that for me was really amazing because we're talking about being in a community that for the most part through, um, through mainstream media, you know, news or movies and things like that, they're talking about this community in a really violent way. You know, um, Boyle Heights for a really long time has had the reputation of it being, you know, just a violent community, uh, like full of gangs and, you know, just like in so many different ways. Right. Um, but then to see these young women, 13, 14, 15 year old girls capturing their, their, their mothers and their fathers with like such, you know, tenderness and respect and, and peace was like what drew me to the organization. So this was back around 2013. And so in 2014, I learned that they were looking for a board member. And then I just jumped on it. I was like, I'm going to be a board member. I want to be involved with this organization in some way, shape or form. I can't mentor because I'm not a photographer, but I'm going to do something. Um, so good. And so I had been involved with the organization since 2014 um, as a board member. And then I stopped being a board member, but I kept volunteering with them during like our annual festivals and things like that. Um, and in 2018, there was there, you know, just a couple of years or I'm still stuck in 2020. So a little three years ago, uh, there was an opportunity for me to join the organization full time as a development and communications, um, you know, person. Yes. And so I jumped at the chance at that time in 2018. I was I've been uh, I should kind of I should have prefaced this by saying I've been working in nonprofits for like 20 plus years now. Um, so I was, I've always been in the nonprofit world. Um, so in 2018, when this opportunity came up, I was at this point in my life where I was like feeling really stuck and feeling like I, you know, um, 
was being really disillusioned by, you know, kind of like the nonprofit industrial complex and disillusioned by like how things were operating uh, between, you know, certain partners and communities and things like that. But then, you know, being able to step into a position in a place that I really loved with people I really loved being around with stories I really loved hearing. I was just like, this is it. Like, I got to do it. Um, and so, yeah, Eric and I worked really closely for those three years. And when he told me his, his decision to leave the organization after 10 years, and he said, it's time, it's time for me to, to move on. And it's time for the organization to grow in whatever direction it's going to grow in. Um, and he offered me the position. I was just like, it was like, I don't know, like being asked out to like the dance in junior high or something like that. It was just so exciting for me. You know, it was like one of those things like, oh my gosh, dream come true. Yes, my dream job. You know, it's like, what is that song? You're on vacation every day <laughs> when you love what you do. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how I feel, you know, and yes. Like I stepped into it in such a funky time. I mean, 2020 COVID pandemic, we lost our sick. There was so much going on, but like uh, just to be able to work with the team that I work with and do the work that I do um, that has really, I feel like um, I think the, the stepping into this position has really like been such a, a gift for myself. Like it's, it's, it's felt like a gift for me. It feels like so great. And it's, it's not only shifted, of course, myself professionally and what I do, but even just like personally and the way that I see it and, and engage with the world, it just within a year, I feel like it's, it's really shifted a lot within me. So um, that's kind of, that was kind of like my journey into the position where I'm in now. That's so great. Thank you so much. And you mentioned, um, the, the amazing work that you've been doing in the nonprofit sector before this job, what, what kind of work had you been doing? Was it in the, um, in the arts sector as well? I was doing a lot of youth work. So I've always done, uh, I've always done youth engagement and youth development work, which is one of the reasons why I felt like this was such a perfect fit. Um, and so I actually started off my nonprofit work, uh, doing youth organizing for an environmental justice organization in the San Fernando Valley, which is, you know, the suburbs of Los Angeles. Um, and then I was working uh, with uh, families and doing disability rights. And um, so I was doing that for a little bit. And then I started working with uh, still young adults, but older, like 18 to 24 age range. Uh, before I was doing a lot of like middle school, high school. And then I started working with 18 to 24 age, uh, doing a lot more professional development and economic justice. So it's always been uh, around the realms of of youth organizing, youth empowerment, youth development, um, really anything that kind of puts the power and uplifts the voice of young people is, is what, I've, what I've done for the past 20 years or so. And one last question for you, Lucia, which is um, talk to me about like some of the impact. I know that you're an executive director now. And so probably a lot of what you talk about is quick pitches. So give me a quick pitch of the impact that Las Fotos has had in the community. Sure. Yeah. Do tons of quick pitches and, and 200 word or character limits <laughs> in, in, our, in our grant applications. Uh, but I really feel that Las Fotos Project is uh, more than a photography organization. We're definitely a community of young people, community of, of people who are exploring their identities and people who are exploring their culture and how they fit within the world around them. And so the impact, as far as the impact the organization has, it's offered a safe and inclusive space for these young people to come in and explore their positions 
in the world and offer them a platform to be able to step into those positions. Um, and we just do it through photography because photography is, you know, a universal language uh, for a lot of people who have sight, right? That they're able to see the stories and they're able to connect to stories and see themselves in the images that, um, that our students capture. And for our audiences who don't have sight, uh, we do have like the written component where they're able to hear uh, a description of what's happening, you know, in the image as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, I feel like in a nutshell, uh, who we are, we are, we are a community within a community. Well, that's beautiful. And the way you talk about accessibility and photography is inspiring as well. I'm not sure if I've heard um, any of that language in regards to it uh, as a visual medium, of course, there needs to be some level of access. And of course, COVID has taught us many things. One of them is the necessary need for accessibility. Well, thank you so much, Lucia. Uh, so good to hear from you. And I'll call on you a little bit later when we talk about the collaboration of this project. But let's move over to uh, Alicia. Um, you mentioned 16 years ago, you founded this nonprofit, NYC Salt. Tell us about that, what you were doing before that led you to it, and a little bit of what NYC Salt is up to nowadays. Sure. Um, so uh, my my background is uh, in the media. I started as a photojournalist working for newspapers and, um, and then went and got my master's degree at Syracuse Newhouse. And um, from there, <laughs> jumped down into New York City and worked with Joe McNally as his uh, first assistant for several years, which kind of gave me an entree into the freelance world of, um, of the city. And Joe was incredibly uh, generous at, at opening up his uh, contact base and introducing me to everybody that he knew, um, which is, had a huge benefit to our students. And, um, and just with the, the social capital that, that my background brings to the organization, as well as the other photographers and editors and curators that work with us in our program um, has led to a lot of opportunity amongst our young people. Um, but in, let's see, 2005, I, I just finished um, with, well, actually a little bit before that, I'd finished, a, worked on a story with Joe, actually our first story that we worked on together, um, was a story about airplanes um, for the centennial year of flight. And it was the first all digital story for the National Geographic. And, and so in that story, I, um, I worked with Joe and we brought in a lot of what was really new technology at the time um, and figured out the workflow of how digital would work. Um, worked a lot with different um, manufacturers uh, camera companies to, to work through that story for over six months. And coming off that project, I thought, wow, this could be a really cool thing to teach kids because it's really neat. And, you know, I, I started a career in film um, and transitioned over at the newspaper um, in the early 2000s and um, started out shooting digital um, actually with the Atlanta Braves um, and a lot of sporting events um, because of deadline issues. And that's kind of just like what started it. Um, I, a friend of mine had seen um, the documentary Born into Brothels, and, which is a, a story um, about a photographer that teaches um, 
a bunch of young kids in the brothels of India um, in Calcutta. And um, she said, let's do that in New York. And I said, well, if you set it up, I'll come and teach. And, um, and so she did. And, and then she went back to London six months later, and I was left with eight uh, middle school boys that, um, that I continued to teach and um, developed a business plan, um, saw the nonprofit that I was working with, uh, use my resume to <laughs> bring in a lot of money to the organization. And and um, so I figured out how I could do it on my own. And that's just where we started. We started with eight kids and a computer and no cameras. I think we bought our cameras with the first like proceeds from a show that we did. Um, and it's just been one foot after the other ever since. And now I think, well, in a good year, we serve over 200 kids. Um, depending on our funding. And uh, I take a very practical approach to photography. Um, and uh, we use photography as a pathway to college and, and career. And we have several programs, but um, our, our first year program is really a foundation year where we teach kids the foundations of, um, of photography. Um, and, and visual literacy, storytelling. And then the second two years in high school are really all about um, students developing stories. Um, but we, we kind of firmly believe that that, that initial technical and creative um, foundation is really important to telling a good story. And um, we have a college program that is, um, is about college persistence and helping our, our alumni get internships. And then during COVID, I started an emerging artist program that we're starting our second cohort of um, right now. Um, actually, they should get emails today <laughs> about acceptances um, at some point when I have time <laughs> uh, to, to, yeah, to send out emails. Um, but uh, we're really excited. We just moved into a new studio um, on 26th Street and 6th in Manhattan, and so, which is um, one of the silver linings of, of COVID is commercial space in New York went down. <laughs> so um, I'm excited about coming back in person. One of the things that almost 100% of our kids said at the end of last year was that they really hated um, virtual learning and they were really sad that they couldn't be with their friends in the studio. And so I'm excited to, to open that, hopefully. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to open that back up um, in September and embark on a new year. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I have so many questions. <laughs> so uh, the first is, um, wow, um, what's the name about NYC Salt? So keep that in your pocket. And then my second question is really, um, uh, is really more of a I guess more of a statement, which is um, that the, you know, the idea of um, photography as career connected learning and as a pathway to see young people through to their futures is salient for sure. And for me in particular, I wrote my college essay about photography back um, when I was in high school and their dark room in, um, in high school was totally a space for me to find myself and uh, among all the chemicals and, and, and images that were being um, presented and manifesting, 
And I can imagine that now with not only digital, of course, but of course, these internship programs, college programs, emerging artist programs, visual literacy, storytelling, um, it's all codified now in a way that young people have access to. So I just want to thank you um, for doing that work, uh, and especially in a space uh, in Manhattan where it's so close to the creative center of those worlds. Um, uh, so, but yeah, tell me about the name NYC Salt. How'd that come to be and, and, and connect with the organization? I don't know. It's one of those random thoughts that you have when you're not online and like, can't look at your phone and you know your mind starts working um nyc is where we are and salt is something that um that flavors it preserves it's something we can't live without and i always envisioned our organization as um as a visual arts organization not just a photography program but you know focus on all the um all the communication arts in terms of graphic design and illustration and um, filmmaking. And we, we do do a bit of that, but our main core is photography. So salt is something that I salt to the earth, um, something that, you know, I, I just I wanted to see our, our kids to be our kid, our students be salt in in New York City and to um, to use their own unique voices and, and stories and, and perspectives to flavor and um, add something to the communities that they're in but also the community at large in the city and in the world and, and we have students um, several of our alumni actually three I think just three three have been shooting for the New York Times lately and we've had three covers of the New York Times magazine in the past two years um, Malik Sadebe, one of our alumni, has a picture on auction right now in a um, collection um, called Say It Out Loud um, uh, at Christie's. And so we believe in a long-term relationship with our students, and that's where we've seen huge outcomes in terms of, you know, them being salt um, and, uh, and, and contributing to the world with um, with their own uniqueness and perspectives and storytelling. Um, that's kind of the end game for me, like, is getting a kid to work um, at the New York Times or Vanity Fair, we've had time, um, Rolling Stone, Wired, um, a host of, of different publications and, and they're just 23 like our oldest graduating class is about 23 so um so they've got a long way to go still but you know editorial is usually the starting place uh when you're when you're coming out of school um and i'm really excited to see our students careers expand I love that. Thank you so much for sharing um, the amazing work these young people are doing and, and rooms that they're getting into. It couldn't have been without those social connections and social capital that you mentioned from the creators, the photographers, the editors, the curators. Um, I love that you mentioned that the organization you were working for before was using your resume to be able to get all that money in. And now you're able to do that and you're able to extend that to the young people you work with as well. Um, and so that's a beautiful ripple effect. Um, and you mentioned that the the part of the most engaging part of quarantine for these young people was um was this 
making of work and perhaps uh, the worst part of it was not being able to engage with each other. And um, I know something that I learned um, in my work at the City of Seattle's Office of Arts and Culture, um, we support the Media Arts Skills Center at Seattle Public Schools um, and their Career Connected Learning and Career and Technical Education Department. And those were the classes during summer school last year that were the most engaged. That's where families and students alike were like, this is, this is virtual learning done right, right? Project-based learning, stuff that is coming out um, and has a has expression built in and not just work for work's sake. Um, and it, it, it totally lands with me that, of course, this is the most engaging type of work to be doing when you're stuck um, in, in a global pandemic. And of course, young people uh, will, have, will need each other to get through it. Um, and this is just one way that they're keeping in touch with each other as through these mediums. Not to mention the Instagrams and TikToks and the other ways that they're creating, um, I'm sure, um, outside of just the formal photography itself. So cool. I want to transition over to you, Michelle. Um, you know, one of the ways that you and I know each other is that um, I, uh, as a young undergrad in New York about 10, 11 years ago, was an intern at Aperture Magazine. And I saw a name, Michelle Dunmarsh, as a publisher. She had long gone um, when I was there, but um, we ran into each other in Seattle afterwards. And I was like, is this the real Michelle Dunmarsh that I saw in these in these uh, old photo books and, and old magazines? Um that are on my desk, and 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 it was you, and we now share the same hometown, and probably have before, um, but I've been loving to get to know you uh, and your work since um, since my my days at Aperture Magazine, and after, of course, I had written my college essay on photography and all those things. To know that somebody like you, who looked like me um, in Seattle, was around, continuing to do this work, was huge for me uh, as a young professional growing up. And I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Talk to me about what you're up to nowadays. Thanks, Ashraf. I think you and I actually did yes. maybe cross by a year. I can't remember what year you did your internship there, but there were a couple a couple months of actual overlap. But that was right around the time that um, that was the end of a fifteen year relationship with Aperture and the beginning of relationships with other other publishers. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in in Puyallup. I started working um, on the yearbook. Was really when I realized like Lucia, uh, writing was an important form of expression for me, uh, but getting into an environment where images and words were, were coming together and magic was happening as a result was such an exciting discovery really. And it, it traveled from there into when I was a student at Bard College, um, I started with a group of friends, a yearbook there. That led me to an internship in the college publications office um, which led me into graduate school and a degree in publishing. So there was a pretty clear through line from my interests as a teen. And so it's important to me to, to continue to share that message with young people that their, their dreams and their, their desires at an early age can be something, if it continues to feel right for them, can be something that continues into, into their professional lives. And I started um, eight years ago my own publishing imprint with a former student of mine, Steve McIntyre uh, from Seattle Central College. So we started Minor Matters in 2013 and it was an opportunity to try and publish with community engagement in a different way. And so all of our projects 
we conceive them, we release them to the public for a pre-sales period. And if we can get um, a base level of support, then the book actually goes into print. So we've produced 23 books this way. Uh, and it's been a really exciting, exciting Wow, process. 23 books. Um, that's fantastic. Is this your first book that is youth focused? It is our first book that's youth focused. It's it's also uh, a little bit unusual in that it is a group project. So we did a book in two th 2016 called All Power Visual Legacies of the Black Panther Party. And that was the first time we did a book that focused on multiple artists. Um, the book that I have just finished writing and I'm releasing this fall about my own life and career in photography also features multiple photographers, uh, multiple artists. But for the most part, the majority of our books have been focused on a single maker. So it's kind of exciting to be bringing together multiple voices. And it really, for me, a large part of this project also kind of harkens back to a program that I did at Aperture, gosh, 20, 20, almost 20 years ago now called Aperture West. And it was really about cross-pollination from different communities, in that case, New York and, and the West Coast, um, but getting organizations in contact with each other. Because when, when you're in the midst of running an organization or running a major program, you know that there's other things going on out there that are related to you, but it's, it's just a very difficult kind of time usage to be like, oh yeah, it'd be great to touch bases with that other organization, but it just makes it really difficult to, to actually execute on that. And so one of the things that I found through Aperture West was that we could serve as a, as a conduit to connect organizations together. So one of the byproducts I hope of Among Peers is the opportunity to build a little bit of a cohort from these great organizations who are in different ways and in similar ways serving their regional youth communities through teaching photography and that that will that will sort of mushroom into um, its own level of other possible what collaborations an amazing um uh transition to the next question which is um which is well one i mean the fact that um the conduit of minor matters books and, and the work that you do really michelle across organizations or affiliations um create these communities across these time zones and geographies connecting organizations and people together um to create something bigger than themselves first of all hats off that's the work uh, and um that's part of the work that why change this podcast seeks to do too you know connecting practitioners like yourselves with the community who wants to learn uh, and be part of those communities too and maybe is doing their own work um, and should be on this podcast talking about it themselves so please reach out community and let's tell your stories as well but that that leads me to the next question which is um this collaboration what has been y'all's favorite part or what's some amazing things y'all have learned or what unexpected benefits came from it what was challenging i want to go to you lucia since it's been a minute since we heard from you um what's um what what about this collaboration excited you and what what are you looking forward to coming from it um yeah i think for for me the exciting thing was as michelle mentioned just you know when you're in the day-to-day -day of your organization like your your priority your focus really is providing uh, a space for the people that you serve and the community that you serve, you know, so exactly like Michelle, when you were saying that, I was like, yes, 100%, like, there's so much happening out there. And there, there are so many great organizations and people like uh, Alicia working on uh, projects very similar to yours that you wish you can connect with, but it's just, 
you know, we are human as much as we want to believe we're like superhuman. We are human and have, you know, just our limitations or our own, you know, capacity and time and things like that. So for me, the exciting thing was the fact that we had uh, this very willing and excited party on behalf of Michelle and her team to bring all of the organizations together who are doing, you know, similar work and to bring all of these voices from across the country together. Um, I feel like anytime that can happen and anytime our youth voices can connect, it becomes really powerful. And so I'm, I'm very excited to get a hold of a copy of this book to show our students because they always get so super excited when they see other young people doing photography as well and always like excited to connect and just being able to be included in that community. It just, um, it adds another level to, to that empowerment. Um, so thank you again, Michelle, for, for doing this and facilitating this process. We are so thrilled to have everyone a part of it. And I do also want to mention the Lucy Foundation because really this was very much a collaboration between Minor Matters and the Lucy Foundation and Lauren Wendell and um, Alice Dyson of Lucy, you know, did heavy lifting on the fundraising side of it. They secured um, sponsorship from Adobe and from Sony. The three of us have spoken weekly um, throughout this process. So it really has just been a kind of all ships rise together. And so wonderful that, you know, that the organizations have have took the time and made the decision in the m middle of the rest of your priorities that you made the decision to, to be a part of this. It would have been easy to just say, nope, we've got too much going on. What about you, Alicia? What, what did you um, get out of this collaboration and what uh, maybe some challenges that you had as well? Uh, oh, I don't think we had any challenges. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's good news. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have anything to say that hasn't been that I went echo um, that that's already been said. Um, I, I think it's it's really awesome to be included and um, and like Lucia said, uh, anytime our our young people can be published and see their work somewhere, it's such a huge thing for them um, to you know to see your work in print. Um, it's just, it's beyond exciting. And, um, and the kids feel that, that way too. I've always felt that, that way about my work. <laughs> um, so I can understand how they feel. And it's such a huge confidence booster to, you know, to see your picture amongst all these other pictures. And um, it's just great to be a part of it. Um, it, it was a very easy process. Um, I mean, I, I give all the credit to Scott because he's the one that that went through and made the, made the selection. And, and it was that was an easy process, too, because we were already making selections for our own book. So it just, it, you know, it's kind of it was super easy. Um, That's awesome. And, and shout out to uh, to Michelle for for calling that out early on, which is the fact that uh, making it easy for your partners is key. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's an important component, Ashraf. And I just want to I do want to touch bases on that because that's also, you know, an element of how how do these opportunities come together in a way that is successful? And, and one of the points, you know, one of the line items I put into the budget was an honorarium back to each organization. 
And some of my colleagues were like, why, why do we have to pay them? And I said, because it takes time. And, you know, if our, our effort is to make this streamlined, we want to be uplifting the organizations. And the other part of the language that's been really interesting in rolling out the project is while one of the components that I'm super, super excited about is that there are a lot of black and brown kids included in this project, it was also really important to me that that not be a, um, a quote unquote selling point. Like for me as a mixed race woman in America to be able to do an edit of work by you know 25% of our population is rare. I've, I've never had this opportunity before and I'm super excited about it. That said, um, it was really important to me that if we're building equity, the, the element that's bringing all these young people together is their age and photography and that that needs to be an element of focus um, so that their ethnicities and backgrounds are, are not being used. Um, and so working through how we approach those things in the language and, and how we truly uplift in a manner that is, is open and equitable and that allows people's humanity to come through was super important to me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The fact that, um, that I'm not even sure I read the term BIPOC youth in any of the language around this book, you know, and the fact that actually it is um, all, if not mostly uh, BIPOC youth as part of the, um, the photography, the excellence that we see there. It's so beautiful. That's correct. And it was a, um, which some could challenge, I suppose, but it was a decision. It was just a decision on my part that that, that not be a, a highlight. Um, it's a fact. And I want to normalize that Americans of a broad variety of backgrounds, that youth of a broad variety of backgrounds are part of photography. And that shouldn't be a, a surprise or a selling point. It should just be a reality. And so by doing this book in a manner that celebrates uh, each photographer, the and, and in fairness to Lucia, at least yeah, I'm the only person who's seen all of the images. So um, everybody is very anxious for me to finish this sequence and, and get it out. And it's been such a joy to work with the photographs, but they're yeah. not being organized by organization. Um, every photographer who submitted images or everyone <laughs> who had an image submitted by their organization will be included in the book. But this is really such a celebration of photography um, that the images are really speaking to each other. And uh, so you will find a student from New York next to a student from LA, next to a student from Houston. And I, I'm really thrilled about that. That's great, Michelle. Can't wait to see it. Well, I also know that you all had book projects <laughs> going on. So this was an opportunity to do something that would be, you know, that would be complimentary and would allow, I hope the book will be a teaching tool you know, for your, for the work that you're doing and to be able to have conversations about, let's look at, you know, how the books that we did for our own organizations are different from among peers and, and allow there to be, to be a dialogue there. Um, that, that more things, uh, more things in print, giving, giving our young people an opportunity to understand different forms of communication and how the screen is different than the wall and is different than a book mm -hmm. is, uh, is always a beneficial thing, I think. Yeah, and I do really, really do appreciate you realizing 
the time it takes to collaborate on projects. Um, because, I mean, I don't know, we love to be a part of the overall community, but, you know, from, I guess, a from the chair that I'm sitting in, there's always a, you know, a weighing of, okay, how much human capacity do we have to do this? How much fundraising is going to be a part of it? And, and what are the kids going to get out of it? And if I can't have a great answer for all three of those things to make it worthwhile for us to collaborate on something that's not like a big grant that's coming in <laughs> to help us pay for <laughs> everything that we're doing, then you know it, it's it's hard to say yes, even though we really want to. I mean, there's so many things we'd like to be a part of, but um, but uh, you know we're a little organization um, in a really big pool of nonprofits here in New York City, and uh, we do a lot with very little all the time. Um, so I really do appreciate you taking that into consideration um, in, the, in the process of the, the project, because I think we would we would participate in a lot more if there, yeah. <laughs> sometimes there was more benefit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally echo that too. And I also wanted to thank you for, uh, you brought the honorary and Michelle, thank you for that too. But for us as an organization, I think for less so of like what is contributed to the organization and to the staff. But I think for, for us, what's important also is if we're able to provide our students as creatives, you know, uh, a payment or a stipend for their artwork. Like that's something that we want to normalize within the organization too, that you as an artist, you know, are a professional. And so if this is your work and this is your, you know, the thing that you are producing and the thing that you're contributing, that you should be compensated for this. Um, so for us, the honorarium also helped us to provide that compensation to students who were selected too. Um, and again, it's something that we carry through through everything. I mean, we have a whole social enterprise dedicated to having our students learn and understand how to be creative entrepreneurs. Um, and so that that's also really important. And I'm glad that that was that was included too. And that's something that we're always advocating for as well. Like I feel like oftentimes, um, what happens is that a large partners will come in and say like this is a really great opportunity for your student for like exposure and it's like okay that's fine and if it's a great exposure then that's great exposure however this is our students creative work they are photographers they're not just kind of like fiddling around with the camera or whatever this is their creation and they need to be compensated for that for that artwork as well yes. absolutely and I think that was something uh you know, that we were trying to figure out how to get even more money. And, and the uh, the hope is if there are ongoing sales of the book, that that all of the proceeds um, are going back to the six organizations. And it was very much with that in mind. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Lucia, because I feel like it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing challenge. I was speaking with a, a colleague about it yesterday, like, wait, I think I was part of that moment in the early 2000s when we started paying photographers more to talk about their photographs than make them and it's it's a it's a challenge you know it's a it's a tough thing I mean I in the book that I just finished I couldn't have seen being seen couldn't have been published if the photographers had not graciously chosen to forego their fees 
And that was a huge point of conflict for me when I've spent my entire career trying to get photographers paid to now have to accept, not have to, but to humbly and graciously in order to celebrate them again, to accept their contribution uh, because it would have added ten to fifteen thousand dollars that I just didn't have toward the publication of the book, and so I think the ongoing, which I listed that dollar figure in the book because I want people to know, you know, that that there there is a tangible, real value attached to our creative work, and that's something that we want we want our our young people, we want our next generation to understand how how to graciously but firmly um, ask for that and know that they they can get paid for their contributions. Talk about teaching tools, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the better ones. And I know selling my first works were part of what made me um, know that the, the this career path was one that could work out. Um, so thank you all for doing that work. Real quick, we have one final lightning round of questions. I'm going to go um, down the list. We're, go, we're going to go Michelle, uh, Lucia, and then Alicia, and then back to Michelle, and then finish off with Lucia. Um, there's five questions here. Y'all take one. So real quick, um, Michelle, who inspires you? Well, I mean, so many people, but for the purposes of this, I'm going to say our co-publishers. I'm going to say the strangers who come together, the family, the friends, the colleagues, but also the strangers who come together to make our books a reality. Um, we could use a few more of them with Among Peers, and they, they do inspire me. It is always uh, amazing to me that people across every background political, religious, social spectrum, make a decision to come together and make these books. Uh, Lucia, what keeps you motivated? Uh, what keeps you motivated? Let's see. I think a, a lot of things, I feel like that's why I'm having a hard time pinpointing it down. Uh, but I think what, what keeps me motivated is in terms of this work and the work that I'm doing and just this path is really our students. Um, but more so like, seeing how happy they are when they jump on a call with us or we just also recently moved into a new space Alicia so like when they come and see the space and get so excited about what could potentially happen um and just like hearing them say like yeah you all are my family you know and not in a I don't know it's just like an unsolicited thing like you're my family you're like my big sister you're like my this you're like my that um that keeps me motivated mm. that that lets me know that we're we're doing the right thing the family vibe i love it um alicia mm. what oh sorry where are you most at I home think, well I, I don't know pre-covid COVID. <laughs> um because there's very different answers um but uh um, I'm most at home I, when all of the students and alumni are around and everybody's just kind of hanging out. Um, it's, yes. you know, it's so nice. We've always had an open door policy here and the studio is definitely a community space. And so it, I'm most at home when, um, when Gabe Bitterman from B&H drops by or Cliff Hausner comes by to talk to Adam about lighting and then we've got kids here and we introduce them or we have some well-known photographer around and you know everybody's just in the kitchen um, 
drinking, I don't know, water and <laughs> soda or what. I usually don't buy soda. So probably not soda. Um, yeah, eating chocolate, <laughs> chocolate <or> cookies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I'm most at home um, here in our space. We've uh, put a lot of thought into the story of each room and, and how we want people to feel when they walk in and and the design of, of things. And I mean, actually, if you looked at our space right now, you wouldn't see much design because we're still all in boxes. But um but yeah, it's just, it's, it's people coming back right now after so long of, of, of just, you know, not seeing anybody for mm. such a long time. Um, it's like, yeah, it's coming home. I feel like we're doing a lot of coming home, hopefully. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Nice. And Michelle, how do you stay focused? I keep a lot of handwritten to-do lists and I track my hours and this has been a very interesting experience. I've, I've had two interns uh, the past six, eight months, which I haven't had in a while. And I started out working in an advertising agency it was my second job in New York city. And my time was billable by the hour. So I had to know I spent an hour and a half on this or four and a half hours on that. And it's a very weird habit, but my date book is still full of, it will say I spent, you know, an hour recording the podcast for why change. And it's a good skill set for young people. I think to, to build early is to understand how much time it takes Mm -hmm. to do whatever given task you're doing. And so for me, the combination of those lists and just always jotting down, okay, I just spent three hours on that. I just spent half an hour on that. Um, it, it keeps me moving forward, gets the, gets the items crossed off the to-do list so I can start another list. Oh, I love that. It's a new skill that I just started <laughs> taking part of. Um, and okay, so final question to Lucia, why change? Why, why change? Well, that's a heavy, that's a heavy final question to <laughs> throw my way. <laughs> uh, why, why change? Because we need to, um, we need to do better and we need to be better and we can do better and we can be better. Um, and not in a sort of like bootstrappy type of a way either. Just, you know, the, we've seen in the past, you know, 12, 13, you know, 14 months now, how, how ugly the world can be. Um, But in that time, we've also seen just like how great the world can be. I mean, we've seen people come together for like food co-ops and supporting each other um, and taking each other into their homes and taking care of sick loved ones and starting small businesses out of their homes and being able to sustain their family in that way. Um, so, so why, why change? Because we should, <laughs> we should, we should be better. Yeah. Great answer. Well, I thank you all so much for taking the time to be here and to share your stories and the stories of the young people you work with and the organizations you all steward. I uh, am so excited for our community to hear this uh, conversation and we'll just leave it at that. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ashraf. Thanks to the team at Y Change. 
And we're back. Ashraf, <laughs> these folks are incredible. The work that they're doing, their own stories, the way that they collaborated on this project, which really elevated the voices of young people, the, the creative work of young people. It's just really incredible. What, what are your thoughts walking out of this dialogue? Oh my gosh, I just, I really appreciated the way that um, these leaders were able to leverage not only their own organizations, their own sort of place in the world, but also be able to um, not, you know, exploit <laughs> the young people or the art or the work that was made, but in fact, just, just use it as a celebration point, just use it as a place for young people's work to be publicly published and, um, and, and confidence to be gained, right? Like, um, this wasn't a project that was a commercial project, right? Like, no, the Time Magazine wasn't paying them a ton of money to produce work, but um, it's it's young people with their work near each other, um, young people who may have never met, but young people who may, you know, at one point or another find themselves uh, in community with these other folks. I yeah. just think it's such a fascinating project. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I want to just invoke one thing that was shared um, when you were inquiring about the name of one of the, the organizations that participated, NYC SALT, and, mm. you know, uh, the founder shared that SALT is something that we as humans and that are the whole world, you know, even geologically speaking, has to have, mm. and that young people are the SALT of our communities, which just struck me so, I don't know, it, it warmed my heart because that is a, an interesting analogy, but for for our work that is really centered around young people to kind of stay grounded, because I think you and I both share this, our work is centered on young people, but we don't necessarily interact with young people, right. like nine to five, um, as part of our day-to-day -day tasks. And so that was such a good reminder of the why, you know, the why mm -hmm. that we do this work. And and then in that same vein, casually mentioning that, you know, three alumni have had New York Times Magazine covers. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, wow, this is, this is so incredible. But I would also underscore that each of these organizations, almost the thing that brought them together to do this project, but also in their work, is that true sort of authentic engagement with young photographers, be it in Los Angeles, uh, in Boyle Heights, or in yep. New York, or um, in, in Seattle. And, and they, their approach from different angles, being community-based organizations, galleries, you know, training programs, publishers, et cetera, um, that there was something that really unified them in, in their shared approach. And I thought that was something that was pretty spectacular. Yeah, the fact that um, not only are all of these students being taken seriously as artists, but many of them are putting their practice to uh, the pedal <laughs> in going to college or careers based on them. I mean, that's what um, um, Alicia at New York City, City Salt uh, had mentioned was was all of those things like you mentioned those 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 article I'm sorry those magazine covers, um, but she really talked about career connected learning in a way that. Um, I, I really appreciated hearing about because as I had mentioned in the podcast too, the, um, the fact that project-based learning like that is the most enticing to a, a terrible state of affairs, like a, like a forced quarantine and forced school closure, and um, forced not being able to be with your communities and your people and your fellow youth. Um, this is really what keeps people going. And I've seen that in my work in Seattle um, and now I'm hearing about it elsewhere. It's really interesting. Yeah, I would I would underscore that as well. It really stuck out and and you know, 
admittedly, perhaps it's because I'm editing a final report right now on the same topic, but you know, the one of the things that stood out to me was how from each of their perspectives, and they share this throughout the interview, so drawing sort of a through line connecting those points, you know, they talked about how COVID, as as devastating as it was, mm. presented an opportunity. You know, they the the organizations all had some sort of new kind of response. Now at Creative Generation, we looked at youth serving arts-based organizations over the the pandemic. We call it the multiple pandemics in our articles because it was not only mm-hmm. COVID-19, but the recession, the political unrest, the communities grappling with the murders of innocent people, the hands of police or vigilantes. And, you know, the reality is, though, in great disruption, mm-hmm. there are opportunities that are presented and not discounting lives lost or trauma um, occurred. But to say, you know, that well, the real estate market commercially in New York City collapsed, mm-hmm. and it means that you know, one of the organizations could find new space in a better location to be able to serve uh, the young people that they do, or that, um, you know, someone else was able to take on leadership of an organization and, and enact some, some changes that were responsive to their community needs um, in the neighborhood that they, they operate in. And I think that that's something that we overlook a lot is that disruption, though very traumatic sometimes, and especially in the case of, say, the COVID-19 pandemic, also, you know, presents people and organizations with the opportunity to, to respond to the real needs rather than these ones that we maybe author into like grant applications, um, but instead <laughs> the ones that people are authentically living yeah. every day, you know, that are like right in your face at the moment of disruption. Yeah, I mean, Lucia came from uh, work in youth, youth work throughout, right? Like youth, um, economic justice, civil rights, environmental justice, all sorts of things. I mean, um, what a great person to be tapped to lead an organization that really is charged to um, help with the well-being of young people, whole young people, right? And um, and I was really inspired by the fact that this was something that she really called her dream job. Um, and that reminded me of another conversation we had uh, in terms of like the nonprofit industrial complex as folks call it, and um, the positions of power that folks are able to get into actually being that antidote to the nonprofit industrial complex, like actually being able to capitalize on the power of making decisions and decisively and and with the full understanding of what the implications are. Um, and then just having the authority to do that and doing that and then seeing what that feels like. All of that, I think, is super important to leadership and, and specifically in a crisis like, uh, like the multiple um, pandemics we've been in to your point Jeff yeah I I mean I 100% agree with all of that and as a person who leads an organization and a you know willing participant in the nonprofit industrial complex I would even take some of your statements like one step further and say it's like part of our responsibility to Mm. to dismantle or or disrupt or even just name how things are problematic in that that complex right I mean you Mm -hmm. and I just yesterday, we're on the phone for like maybe three minutes having a conversation <laughs> about how, you know, this field over the last, I don't know, two generations has particularly focused its energy on adopting a capitalistic approach that centers right. economics and productivity beyond the sort of human needs um, and the process-based um 
kind of pedagogies or organizational practices that we should be doing because that's artistic practice. Like it's mind boggling to me to see how all of a sudden an overlay of, of commercialism or of economic drivers or anything like that can just kind of like in one fell swoop, like boot collaborative democratic artistic practices like out of the window. And so what's exciting to me mm. about hearing the stories of these leaders is that all of them are working in this way to sort of recenter young people, reorganize the way that they are actually working together in collaboration to move projects forward and to challenge some of those norms of the way that the field has, ha I don't want to call it organically, maybe it was self-constructed, but has developed over the last 20 or 30 years. I love that. Yeah. And what, what better way to disrupt that than like actually, um, you know, Michelle walking the walk uh, and giving all the on, all the organizations who participated honorariums to participate, right? Like this isn't just a celebration of youth photography. Yes, it is that also. Um, it is also a way for this small and mighty community of uh, photography nerds who work with young people, right? A very specific <laughs> niche of that audience um, to come together and um, and support each other. And Michelle, though she um, has been in nonprofits for a while, is now operating this sort of crowdsource-based um, publishing company, um, is able to take the learnings and empathy that she's gained of like what that's like and like put it into practice. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I loved hearing about, we just had a whole sesh right at the end there, you probably... Um, just listen to about us just saying what how important it is just to compensate organizations for just the time it takes to do a thing <laughs> you know it's not it's not free time for sure absolutely and I think that speaks volumes to the point of when in a position of power to catalyze some sort of project which mm. is a position I actually find myself in a lot it, you know it, within sort of the organizational model that is creative generation you know, we get a lot of really cool opportunities and are often um, in a position to invite other people in to collaborate. And, you know, it's funny because I, I firsthand know how much work it is to get people, you know, to collaborate. And the reality is, is when you do collaborate, the projects are always better. The impact is exponential. You go farther together, you know, rather than you don't, you know, what's the saying? You go farther together and you go less far alone or whatever. Um, there's some saying there that rhymes, but <laughs> The point is, right at the start, when they were like, oh, this was a collaboration between six organizations, I was like, whoo-wee, like, wow, that <laughs> is going to be, that took a lot of time to set up. You know, that's a lot of, like, things to work out with six different organizations that have six different missions and six different boards and six different constituencies. And the reality is, though, is I think, from my observation, again, I mm. did not participate in this one, but from what they were talking about and your conversation, particularly there right at the end, is they all just sort of selected the high road to do the thing that made it easiest for everyone to be able to participate. Yes. And that is something that like, I don't know, we as professionals just get like tattooed on our foreheads because it's such a good rule, you know, to live by. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Yeah. And not only that, but um, but the fact that, you know, how did these organizations even get chosen, right? Like we didn't really talk about that, but it's clear that these organizations are authentically serving their communities, right? And it's clear that, um, like Michelle talked about in the conversation, there's many, 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 many 
um, black indigenous and other people of color or young young people of color in these in this project and it's authentic in the sense that it's not like a shtick you know mm-hmm. it's a fact like Michelle had said um, the fact that these talents um, another word that that we have examined before on this <laughs> podcast um, are are you know, not just going to be the same type of young person that maybe one expects to, to be in a book of this caliber and quality, but in fact, um, the fact that they are all, all Black, Indigenous, or other young people of color, like, that's that's a beautiful thing, um, and it's not advertised, right? It just is what it is. I feel like right. that's such a beautiful, um, yeah, that's a beautiful thing to be able to uh, just just boast without needing to boast, right? It just, the quality of the work speaks for itself. Yep, I 100% agree with that, and that is something, I mean, you know my feelings on the word talented, but it it certainly, I think, speaks volumes to the ethos that was created in this project, you know, in that people, particularly the adults in the equation, are uber comfortable seeding their power, elevating folks, you know, and that just being the work itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a, 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 we don't need to celebrate the fact that they're elevating young people, you know, that's just what it is. It is. And it's, authentic in that way which is something that I think we can all learn because to loop back to the conversation about response to the pandemic when times get tough it's really easy to just do what we've always done which is not the path that this group took they sort of leaned in and continued to do that work and powered through in those um really challenging times I mean it's it also speaks volumes, I think, to the approach that this was a concept or a, an idea or project that was really born out of the fact that they were all checking in on each other. You know, I love exactly. it. It super resonated with me at the very start of the conversation where all, all of the, the folks that you were chatting with sort of reflected on the fact that they would often see each other at like industry events or conferences or things like that, which, I mean, you know about me, like that's where I saw a lot of my mm-hmm. professional friends. Um and, and then the pandemic hit and those all got canceled or maybe they were on Zoom. So you maybe like actually saw them, but like didn't have the water cooler time or the coffee chat mm-hmm. time. Um, and, you know, they prioritized checking in on each other. And then out of that checking in came an interesting idea. And then out of that idea came a collaboration. And, and here we are now with this amazing product. And, and that's something that I, I really respect because it's something I know I've tried to do. Um, and you know, I think I've shared this before in the podcast, you know, there's a couple of um, professional friend groups that get together for happy hour on various schedules um, virtually. And it's so nice to have that and, and truly just maintain those connections because I know if I just share a little bit of my personal experience in the pandemic, I did not realize how heavily I relied on like professional travel for maintaining some relationships. There are people who mm. I don't think I ever texted <laughs> Aside from like, hey, I'm on the train to New York. Do you want to get a drink? And then we would have like these amazing, you know, connections and really cool experiences and things like that. Um, but I truly relied on that. And so all of a sudden it became more work to be like, I, you know, I actually really, I, I care about that person. Like I need to check in on, you know, I need to yeah. make that, um, make that prioritized choice. And, um, and that was a little bit of a personal growth moment for me. So it was also reassuring to hear that other people went through that same thing and it did result because I also think 
in my journey, many of the cool things, including this podcast, sort of came out of a similar experience. Um, so it's it's cool to think about the possibilities that came from a rather trying time, but now, you know, a year and a half later to see the fruits of those those efforts. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I, and similarly, and I'm sure many of our, our amazing community of listeners have went through this too, but what are we without the things, the shit that we do that, that fills mm-hmm. our calendars, you know? And um, I had that question myself that I had to really figure out and, and, you know, thank you, Jeff, for an opportunity like this podcast to be able to exercise some of that, <laughs> some of that need to, to extrapolate um, in, in this amazing show and this community to have together. Well, I appreciate those kind words, Ashraf, and it is a real pleasure to, to sit with you so often and, and chat about the big ideas and to connect with people and to, to share our own learnings. I mean, you just asked the question, what are we, aside from the shit that's on our calendars? And, you know, the reality is, is one, I think we are so much more than what is Thank on our you. calendars, yes, but I also too. think that that is an interesting representation because it, in a way, it quantifies our experiences and those experiences all get put into us. And I'm a firm believer, and I think, not to put words in your mouth, but I believe you share this idea too, why we're on this podcast, is that we have a responsibility to share. You know, we have a privilege of of having those really amazing experiences, being in those rooms, sharing that time with incredible people and incredible work, and that we have that responsibility to share and invite other people in. And this is one way of doing that. And there's certainly many, many more. Um, So with that, I think that brings us to the end of our episode here today. Thanks again for sharing your conversation. Um, What is next for you? You're on vacation, so hopefully some rest. Yeah, that's right. Um, In a couple hours, actually, um, the Creative Advantage, um, which is the Seattle's uh, Arts Education Collective Impact uh, work of the Office of Arts and Culture in the city of Seattle uh, and and Seattle Public Schools, we do a big institute every year, a big professional development one day shindig, and today is that day. And um, though I'm on vacation, I'm going to be doing... uh, the land acknowledgement and the intro um, just in a couple hours here. And I'm over here in Minnesota on the Dakota and the uh, Obijway Obijway land. I'm going to practice, I promise. Um, and I'm excited to be able to, uh, to contribute to that in a couple hours. How about you, Jeff? What are you up to these days? Um, I, that all sounds amazing. And I think props to you for, um, for continuing to support <laughs> those efforts uh, while you're on vacation. Um, we actually this week is a little bit uh, a little bit bittersweet. Um, we are wrapping up our summer residency program. This episode, of course, will drop in a, a few weeks, but we're recording it um, right now on the second to last day. So we're celebrating our residents and their incredible contributions. I would encourage everyone to go to our blog and read about uh, their thoughts on um, modern mentorship, um, which is a really cool um, body of work uh, that they all contributed to and you know, really, we had um, an incredible time, but it is bittersweet to know that they're moving on um, to do other things, some to go to full-time work, some to go back to school, um, some to take other opportunities, um, and maybe some to stay on continuing to, to contribute to our work at Creative Generation. Mm. So excited about that. Um, and then truly taking a break. We have another quiet week coming up, and um, our team will be uh, rejuvenating and working on things before the fall, because there are big things coming uh, in the September, October, and November months. So um, gearing up for that and looking forward to the future. Um, but on that note, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. We're really excited. We are um, 
crossing another threshold of some 30 episodes of the Why Change podcast. Wow. And we look forward to uh, continuing on this journey with all of you. But thanks for being here and listening and learning and laughing with us along the way. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. Our show is produced and edited by Daniel Stanley. Our music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support. Wow.